Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. Every 10 years, state and local officials are mandated to draw up new maps of areas that elected officials represent. The stakes for the seemingly mundane exercise are pretty high. Parties in power draw lines to concentrate the other guys in one district so they can represent a bunch more. And they have to do it without the gerrymandered lines that have gotten attention from the courts. And with Florida's population burgeoning, new districts are being drawn up to represent those new people. Now, we're going to try to sort this out with veteran political journalist William March. Welcome to Florida Matters. Oh, hey, Steve. Glad to be here. Well, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. You know, first of all, there's got to be so much backroom dealing that goes on drawing up these maps. How much attention does this get from both parties? It gets a lot of attention from the parties, the political insiders, the political leaders. It gets comparatively little from the average voter. But it means so much to them, right? Talk, talk about the importance of all this. It is probably the single most important part of the political process that average voters don't pay attention to. It's the nuts and bolts of politics. And the nuts and bolts shape the way the outside ends up looking. I can give you sort of an example. I Recently, out of curiosity, I started adding up a few numbers. I looked at the 2020 congressional elections in Florida. I added up the total votes for all the Democrats running for Congress and all the Republicans running for Congress. And it turns out that the Republicans got about 51% of the votes, but they ended up with 60% of the actual Congress members. Now, in that same election, you'll recall, the presidential race divided about the same way. Republicans, Donald Trump, got about 51.5% of the votes. So you have a very evenly split state there in terms of the numbers of Democratic votes cast and Republican votes cast. And yet, in spite of that, we ended up with a congressional delegation that, as I said, is 60% Republican, a state Senate that is 60% Republican, and a state House that is 65% Republican. Now, this shows the power of drawing these district lines, essentially as they're drawing the district lines, the politicians are picking which voters get to vote for them. And that's a great way to win an election. Now, I've been out with some of these political organizers. They go to a neighborhood and they go house to house and they have their little computer, handheld computer, and they're looking at which house votes Democratic, which votes Republican, which one, which doors they should knock on. So this really gets on a micro level, right? They're, they're going on a house by house level here determining who gets to vote for who, right? Well, the computer age, Steve, has completely changed the process of redistricting and made it much more important. It's fashionable to say that, that Democrats in Florida, for example, gerrymandered when they were in power roughly through the uh, early 90s. And it's true they did, but they didn't have the computer computers and programming that we have now that enable the map makers to draw lines and make distinctions down to literally the precinct level. They go precinct by precinct. 
and they know who lives there from census data, and they know from elections results the political performance of each precinct that they move in and out of a district. And this has made redistricting a far more powerful political weapon even than it used to be. Now, what's the law with how districts have to be set up? They have to follow political boundaries. They have to have the same amount of people, right? Well, there are very few absolutes, even under the new Fair Districts Amendment that Florida voters passed a few years back. The main one is that they all have to be roughly the same size, very close to the same size, within a certain few percentage points of variation. They have to follow political boundaries when it's possible and when it's reasonable. The, uh, the other probably biggest condition is that under the Fair Districts Amendment and under, under what used to be the Federal Voting Rights Act, the districts cannot be drawn to dilute the voting power of minorities. In other words, they cannot be drawn to, to lessen the chances of a minority being elected to a position. So we've all seen some of these maps with lines squiggling down through three counties, crossing, you know, one crosses Tampa Bay, goes down into Sarasota. Right. And this is to consolidate the minority vote. That's okay, though, right? Yes, it is. It's better to say that it's that it's not okay to dilute or the word is retrogression, go backwards on minority voting power. All right, let's uh, talk about the uh, the current situation now. Uh, Florida is going to add a 28th congressional district because of the population growth. Uh, it's being had for Central Florida. I've seen some maps around Polk, Osceola, maybe even Hillsborough County, which have been growing really fast. So describe the process there, if you would. Well, it's a little hard to say exactly where the one new district is going to go because every time you change the line of one district, you change the lines of all the districts around it, and it's a chain reaction. But it will be in the I-4 corridor area. There will be more districts in the I-4 corridor area, and there will be more districts around the center of that in the Orlando area. But uh, one map for congressional districts, a map proposed by the Florida Senate, creates a new congressional district within Hillsborough County. It would, for the first time, create two congressional districts entirely contained within Hillsborough County. We should make clear at some point, and this can be very confusing, the districts for Congress and for the state legislature are drawn by the state legislature. So far, what's happened is that each house of the legislature, the Florida House and the Florida Senate, have each proposed maps for Congress, for their own house, and for the other house. So you have a, a pretty broad array of proposed maps here. So they all have to get reconciliated, if that's the correct term? Eventually, the two houses, the Florida Senate and the Florida House of Representatives, will negotiate and come up with a proposal which they will pass as a bill. All right. You mentioned the new district. One of the maps has a new district proposed for Hillsborough County. That's been represented by Democrat Kathy Castor for going on 15 years now. Now, you've written that having a safe seat has freed her to take strong positions on tough issues. She was a leading proponent of Obamacare and the Biden administration infrastructure bill. So she's a pretty fat target, if I could use that phrase. Well, she could be if it was possible for the Republicans to redden her district, to republicanize her district. The problem that Republicans face in doing that is the Democratic voters have to go somewhere. 
If they go into a surrounding Republican district, it could endanger that Republican incumbent. What the and we're talking now about a map, congressional map, proposed by the state Senate. What it would do is it would slightly republicanize Castor's district, converting it from a surefire Democratic win, which Castor has, since 2006, she's run unopposed twice and has never won by less than 20 points. This would convert her district into a district with about a five-point Democratic advantage. It would then create an entirely new district covering the eastern half of Hillsborough County, which would be an even closer swing district. So it's possible that Republicans are thinking that in, that in what is looking like going to be a tough election year for Democrats, they might be able to win both of those, eliminating a Democratic congresswoman. They've done something very similar with the Charlie Chris district, a Democratic district in St. Petersburg. The Senate's map makes it slightly more Republican, still leaning slightly Democratic, but Republicans may think that they could sweep all three and eliminate all the Democrats from the Tampa Bay area. Especially with Charlie Crist running for governor now, that's that's an open seat, so it's anybody's guess who uh, who, who might win that particular seat. Exactly. The uh, Some of the maps uh, have also targeted incumbent Democratic Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, who represents the Orlando area, uh, a uh, Tallahassee analyst who's worked for the Democrats, called it a pretty notable gerrymander, saying it nukes, quote unquote, the District 7 seat that's held by her. you have any thoughts on that at all? Sure. Stephanie Murphy is a moderate. You may have seen that she's been contentious with some fellow Democrats in Congress over things like the Build Back Better legislation. Part of that is because she does represent an area that's a swing area. It's not a safe Democratic seat at all. But it's Democratic enough so that she was able to unseat a Republican congressman in that district. I think it was two elections ago. The map that we've been talking about is the Senate's proposal for Congress. But what you were just talking about is the State House's proposal for Congress. And it cuts her district up, leaving her a very difficult choice to run in either a Republican-leaning district, or a district that has a large number of minority voters, uh, a district that looks to be set up for a black candidate. So the House map is a much more aggressive gerrymander than uh, the Senate map. And that that was the comment of uh, the person you were just quoting is a guy named Matthew Isbell, who's an expert on political mapping. I've seen in the past where these maps have been gerrymandered so much to the point that the incumbent is no longer in the district that they currently represent. Yes, it, uh, it happens pretty frequently. As a matter of fact, we've been talking about redistricting for Congress mainly, but redistricting is now going on all the way down through the Hillsborough County commissioners and in the, uh, in the Hillsborough County school board, for example. One map proposed by a conservative member of the school board would cut the chairman of the board, uh, Nadia Combs, who's one of the comparatively liberal Democratic-oriented members, would cut her out of her district. A similar thing could happen in the Hillsborough County commissioners' redistricting, where one map proposed by a Democratic member, it would not cut any commissioner out of their district, but it would give one of the Republican members, Ken Hagan, a somewhat more Democratic-leaning district, possibly making him vulnerable to a Democratic challenger. 
Now, also, that we're seeing a lot of the school board districts are, are being redistricted, too. I, I, I saw an email recently from the Hillsborough County uh, Republican Party calling on fellow patriots to encourage the school board to select the map that they wanted. There is a lot of political manipulations going on with school boards right now. You know, all the stuff with mask mandates, critical race theory, all that kind of stuff. So this is becoming a focus for the political parties, which have traditionally been nonpartisan races for school boards, right? Yes, we should say that school boards are nonpartisan. The, the members do not represent parties. They're not even allowed to run as members of parties. They're not allowed to proclaim that they're Democrats or Republicans in their campaign material. But everybody knows what, they, what their affiliation is. And you can see in their debates and their policies on issues, you can see the differences between the Democrats and the Republicans. One map, as I noted earlier, proposed by one of the two Republican members would cut the chairman, Nadia Combs, out of the district she currently represents. Another map proposed by a Democratic member, Karen Perez, would take some strong Republican voting areas out of Stacey Hahn's district, making her potentially more vulnerable to a Democratic challenge. This is a perfect example of how redistricting is going to affect the way government affects you, the average person, because the 5-2 split, Democrat to Republican split on the school board, you've been able to see that play out in debates over things like mask mandates and COVID-19 protections. And the interesting thing is most people have no idea this is going on. Redistricting is just something that politicians do is in the background. But it really affects everything political, right down to school boards, county commissions. Well, the way I kind of like to look at this is hard stances on hot-button issues and big speeches and votes on things like abortion and illegal immigration, critical race theory, things like that. These are the shiny surface of politics. But the nuts and bolts is redistricting. And if you look at your car, the way the nuts and bolts are stacked up determines what the outside shape is. And this is how the nuts and bolts of politics affects the policies that are eventually enacted that affect you. And it's time to change the oil right now. <laughs> all right. Anything else you want to mention regarding all this? Only that I think there's been a lot more attention being paid to redistricting in this, in this wave. Nationally, redistricting follows every census every 10 years. And there's a, been intense coverage because both parties are trying to use the redistricting process to affect whether Democrats are able to hold their very narrow margin in the U.S. House right now. So you're seeing a lot more coverage of it. And frankly, I think it's about time that people started paying more attention to the process itself. All right. Well, we'll try to get our listeners to pay attention by listening to this show. William March is a veteran political journalist. Thanks so much for being on Florida Matters. I enjoy it, Steve. All right, we'll be right back after this short break with the president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Stick around. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. 
Every 10 years, state and local officials are mandated to draw up new maps of areas that elected officials represent, and this is that year. We'll now rejoin our conversation about the redistricting process and what that means to the average person. Cecile Schoon was elected this summer as the newest president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Welcome to Florida Matters. Thank you. It's an honor to be a guest. So I've asked this of our other guests on the show, and I'll ask you the the same thing as well. How important to the average person is the redistricting process? It's hugely important, and it's something that many of us, we're so busy with our daily lives and challenges, we kind of, quote, leave it to the experts when it really should be something that every citizen should concern themselves with. Because basically, governmental resources are allocated by the districting lines. Who you can vote for is controlled by the districting lines. And whether your party or your affiliation is likely to select a representative of your choice that's suitable to you is all controlled by where the lines are drawn. So, uh, you know, the league is monitoring this this once-in-a-decade reapportionment process that's going on in Tallahassee. There's been some complaints about a lack of transparency in the whole process, maybe because of the COVID restrictions imposed in the state capitol. I'd like to get your opinion on whether you think the process of drawing up these maps has been as much in the sunshine as the league would like. No, it hasn't. And we have our standards of what we think is good. And the most, the best way would have to gone and done a roadshow to make it easy for citizens to participate in their home. They could just get off work a little bit early or get someone to monitor uh, the child or the elderly person that they are attending to and take an hour or two and appear locally and give their version of their opinion of their concerns and or questions. Well, we asked for that as many voting rights groups did. That is the gold standard. That was not agreed to. And then the next thing we asked for was let's have a virtual town hall where people can call in on the phone. They can go like what we're doing on Zoom. They can participate, but it's still something that is comfortable and familiar. Most of us are familiar with Zoom and Zoom-like programs. And that was denied also. What they've offered is a portal with an overwhelming amount of information that the average citizen, you click and it's like, whoa, it's overwhelming. I know I've clicked on it numerous times and it's so sensitive that when I touch the map to kind of get a better look, I literally go from Florida to a map of the world. That's just, you know, something that I'll have to master. But those are the kinds of just physical impediments to understanding. So we have heard people say, They don't understand the process. They're not comfortable with the portal. So that is what the legislators chose. And I would say it's definitely exclusive to persons with disabilities, elderly, persons who don't have access to good internet computers and tools like that, which is a large part of our Floridians population are struggling financially, especially after COVID. So it's concerning that the portal for public comment is so narrow and is basically gives a preference to those with more affluence and more education. So so where are we right now in the process? Can people still comment um, if they find this portal? They manage to do that. Is is there a, uh, tell us about the, the period that's going on right now. 
comment is going to be available until they actually pass it. The information that we received from the Senate, in general, the Senate has been a little bit more forthright about the actual process. So according to Senator Rodriguez, who is the committee chair on redistricting, any comments can be made in the portal at any time. But once the, the legislator adopts the maps as like working maps, right now they're just drafts and haven't been voted on. But once that happens, there's going to be more of a burden on comments. You have to comment or offer a map for the entire state, which again is like a big jump because a citizen, the average citizen might be more familiar with their area, know all the neighborhoods, know what the history of voting has been. You know, that would be something that you would expect to be in the knowledge of many citizens, their locale. But for them to fully understand what's going on across the state, I think is a big jump. You know, do you believe that these comments actually make a difference? You just talked about all these exclusionary tactics to getting public participation. You think people are going to think, well, you know, they're not going to listen to me. Why should I even bother? I do think people might think that, but people think things like that on every issue. It's already decided. Why should I vote? And in so many times in history, the citizens have proven the skeptics wrong, like the passage of Amendment 4, restoration of voting rights. Oh, that'll never pass. It's been 150 years. Yeah, they tried. Da, 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 da. Well, the citizens didn't listen to that naysaying. They got together and they voted. Same thing with fair districts in 2010, which the league was a big proponent of. But those are unique tools that Florida has that many states don't have. And the citizens put that out there in citizen initiatives. So I'm very uh, wary of saying, well, my vote doesn't matter. We have some very important legislation, um, constitutional changes based on the citizens' beliefs and their choices. So everyone get out there and get involved. Well, let's talk about that fair districting amendment. It was approved by the voters in 2010 after the court uh, nixed the, the maps that were coming out as being horribly gerrymandered. Uh, the league was one of several groups that successfully sued the legislature for violating that. And um, I was wondering, do you believe that the legislature has been as faithful to the wording in that amendment as the league would like? Well, I would say there's been a difference in treatment between the House and the Senate. Um, the Senate has had earlier meetings. They have, under Senator Rodriguez's efforts, made more of an attempt to explain every step and what they were doing. And then because I had the meeting with Senator Rodriguez, actually answered very important questions. And so I would give them good marks for at least attempting to communicate their standards and what they're doing. And it's much appreciated. In comparison, the House just recently dropped their maps. So they were a little late in the cycle to drop their maps. And there was very little discussion ahead of time of, in detail of the process. If You know, like we looked at this criteria first and then we modified by the second criteria, which is what was done in the Senate. So the House has been much less transparent, even to their members who have stated that House reps have stated that they've asked for information and detailed information about how is this done and what standard did you use and only to be essentially rebuffed and told, you know, don't be a troublemaker kind of thing. 
and just trust me, which watchdogs and people in government, we do try to approach everybody with good faith. But with regardless of your party, it doesn't matter if you want to verify on your own, especially something that's critical. And when the there's not an openness to the process of how the process was done and an openness to sharing data, that makes it more difficult to do that deep check. Well, uh, Florida is growing so fast that another congressional district is being eyed for Central Florida. Um, do you have any idea or feeling where that is going to go? I know there's some competing map proposals right now. Well, you're right. I think what we have seen, the majority of the maps have been in Central Florida, which seems logical if that's where the population growth has been. How you actually draw the maps and the different leanings of the new district vary greatly and depend on the lines that you draw and the populations that you place within a district. And frankly, Florida in general is a purple state. So a lot of elections are won by fairly narrow margins. So small tweaks in the state of Florida of adding or subtracting different communities, different neighborhoods of relatively small numbers of people have tremendous effect on whether the district leans, you know, red or blue, and whether you are stifling, which is one of the tests, the tier one test, which is mandatory under fair districts, whether you are harming a minority, racial minority or language minorities, opportunity to select a representative of their choice. So these small changes are very impactful. I just have one final question for you. The, the final determination of whether the, the maps, that, the final maps meet the fair districts amendment, it comes down to the state Supreme Court, which is, has a much different makeup than it did 10 years ago when the amendment was, uh, was approved by voters. It has a lot more conservative justices on it. Do you feel confident that they will uphold the, the amendment as it was intended by voters? Well, certainly we're concerned about any court, um, and certainly if there's been a change in the political background of the justices, that would be something that we would take into consideration and note. But I would like to direct your attention and share with the listeners the Rucho case, which is United States Supreme Court case that was decided in 2019. And that case, a lot of voting rights activists were very upset because the Supreme Court said there are no federal statutes and standards to prohibit political gerrymandering. We see it going on, but this is not a federal issue. This is a state issue. Then they cited to our case, the League of Women Voters and Common Cause case, uh, that was a litigation that we won with regards to fair districts. And they cited to our fair districts and they literally said, other states, if you wanna protect against political gerrymandering, do what Florida has done. Those standards in fair districts are clear, enforceable, and you should do that. But it certainly gives us some additional comfort that the United States Supreme Court has picked us out and said, these are good. These are clear. These are enforceable. But certainly state issues are often raised in federal court if it is up to the level of a violation of the United States Supreme Court. So, yes, we are very much looking at our state court, but it's powerful to note that our United States Supreme Court 
has validated our fair districts. All right. Thank you for your clarifications. Thank you for your comments. Cecile Schoon is president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Thank you so much for being on Florida Matters. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And if anybody has any additional questions, they can look at our website. We have a redistricting page and we'll be adding more to it. And that's it for today's show. Our thanks to William March and Cecile Schoon. And thanks as always to our producer, Denora Prevost, and our engineer, Craig George. I'm Steve Newborn. We'll see you next week on our next edition of Florida Matters. Florida Matters.